Welcome back to another episode on the pod. We have Alex Eisman here. Alex, your first episode. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Definitely excited to uh, to talk some NBA. It's been uh, it's been an interesting first week for sure. Well, interesting to say the least. A couple of things that have already stand, stand uh, stood out to me that I want to get into. What has been your biggest takeaway so far from this first week and a half? Because obviously, a lot of cool games within the first week. Some instant overtime classics, some big game performances. What has been kind of the main team, the main player, the main narrative going into this year after this first week? Uh, I mean, really, I have two. And one is the Lakers struggling to start the year. Um, I know they squeaked out a win against the the Grizzlies the other night. Uh, But... John Morant missed a big free throw at the end to kind of save the Lakers a little bit. But, I mean, you just talk about how this team is built, and I just don't know if this is the right configuration of of players to help LeBron and AD win another championship. Um, Russell Westbrook is a great player, but he dominates the ball like LeBron does. Um so I think it's just – and not a whole lot of floor spacing either with, with him as your point guard. And I know they have some injuries to, to some of their, their bench guys, but just as a whole, I mean, you're losing to the Warriors, no Clay Thompson. And, yes, Steph Curry is Steph Curry, but I think anyone would tell you that LeBron and AD are both top ten, if not top five players in the NBA. Um Similar uh, against the Suns, and I know they lost to them in the playoffs last year, and you'd think that maybe they'd come back with a little fire under their belly after uh, losing to them and with a healthy team, but they just haven't seemed to really put it together. And, I mean, I know, listen, they played three games, but if I am if I bet on the Lakers to win the championship, I would not be feeling too good about that. The the Lakers bit's excellent, especially because I haven't talked to you about this and I've covered it on the pod. The Westbrook trade was a big red flag for me. The giving up a lot of key pieces from last year's team and this idea that if you just add a superstar, it'll fit. And we've seen so far it's not. The the spacing problems, the if they don't play Anthony Davis at the five with more shooting around LeBron and A D, there really is a power vacuum or a vacuum on offense with that roster. Because they could be 0-3 right now. It was a John Moran yeah. free throw away from them being 0-3. They get torched by a Golden State team that I love, but they're not like world beaters out here. And if you look at it, I mean, this is what we've seen before. The questions over, like, how will this roster fit together? And I, we knew going into this, it would not be a seamless fit, obviously. We knew that it would take maybe a couple of weeks, even a month. But did we think or did you think that the Westbrook fit would be this bad coming out of the gate because I know it'd be like obviously an adjustment but not like this bad where a lot of turnovers extra shots kind of teams are sagging off him saying hey we'll leave him open in the corner did you expect that going into the season uh I I expected them to to struggle you know the the situation that I feel like I can best compare it to is uh when Westbrook was in Houston with James Harden um just two guys who really dominate the ball and need it in their hands and that's why after just one year, Westbrook was, was out of Houston. Um, and I mean, it's, it's tough because Westbrook is, he is a great player. I know he gets a lot of slander, especially lately these last few years, calling him a stat patter or whatever. 
but he the he can take over a game single handedly. He's a excellent passer. Um but I mean he's playing with LeBron James, unfortunately, for him, because I, I don't think that allows him to, to fully uh use his skill set and, and take over games in, in the way that we've seen him do so many times in the past. Well, and coincidentally, LeBron, there's a game tonight. They're playing the Spurs. He's out for that game. So this might be one of those, like, see, Westbrook can fit because this is why the Lakers got him. When LeBron or AD's out, they can put Westbrook in and be a minutes eater. He could be the points guy, the rebounds guy, just be that kind of stat patter out there. But this leads into the question of, like, does this allude to what's going to be the big narrative in the playoffs that they can't play together? It's got to be only two of the three or even one of the three at times because of the fit questions. Because the other thing with the Lakers is that they have a lot of injury, they have a lot of players who are susceptible to injuries. All of their guys are older. We know that they're relying on a lot of veterans with lots of miles on them. Is this going to be a pattern for the rest of the season where we're going to see this Lakers team with a lot of different rotating lineups? Because I personally think this is a big concern. If they have this situation where they're changing lineups every other game and they're running new sets and new everything, that they'll never build that continuity that a team like, let's say, a Denver or a Golden State out west or a team like Milwaukee out east would have over the Lakers as an advantage. Yeah, and I mean, the thi- like the west is has been a gauntlet for the last five maybe even 10 years like it's it's not like the lakers are by far the most talented team in the western conference i mean you look at the warriors and they they started three and oh but you know god willing clay thompson comes back and and is you know even 80 or 90 percent of what he used to be that's a team that is a serious contender they still have james wiseman hurt and he when he played he last year he was you know he showed flashes of being something special um the jazz overall just a solid team great defense i don't know if they necessarily have what it takes to beat the lakers but i think they could steal a couple games on the road and when they play at home you know anything can happen um the clippers Kawhi's hurt right now, um, but that's another team with with a lot of talent. Paul George, uh, Reggie Jackson, Eric Bledsoe is also another guy who kind of who kind of gets some hate, but you know he's he's a defensive menace and he he can get hot um, from anywhere on the floor. And you know I just I just think the the path is very diluted for the Lakers right now to to another championship. And we haven't even talked about any of the teams that can meet them in the East. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I think I'm glad you tied that point in. The narrative that I think we're both going to look out for this upcoming season is which of the Western Conference teams avoid the play-in game? Because that was, that was a detriment last year to this Lakers team, that they got the injuries, forced to play against Golden State. They were already exhausted as it is, had to play an underrated, as much as people – in retrospect, saying, oh, easy finals opponent. Phoenix was still a pretty good team that was the second seed in 150-something games and had legitimate all-stars in that team. Like, they were a pretty hard team to beat in uh, as a first-round opponent. And now the question is, which six teams in the West kind of break out? Because we're seeing Golden State strategy. Golden State's like, we need to get a top six seed so we don't have to have the play-in. So we don't ha- we can rest our guys heading into the postseason. Whereas a team like that confuses me is like Phoenix, where... 
and the Lakers especially, they've got veterans on a team with Chris Paul and LeBron, among others, where they kind of need to do that for all the other reasons where they don't want to put more miles on those guys that when they already have a lot of miles. And I think that narrative is something that we're going to watch out for kind of the rest of this year with those teams that you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's all, and you forget about the Mavericks too. Luka Doncic, I think is, is top five player. He's an MVP contender. Um, I think they're a few more pieces away, but I mean, that's why trades happen. Um, well, and then again, this guy is so special. There could just be a LeBron 07 year where he just turns it on and it doesn't matter. And the West is obviously going to be much harder than the East in 2007, but anything is possible. I think the one thing I've learned from this first week is that the Western Conference, more than the Eastern Conference, is way more wide open. Yep. A lot of yep. All it takes is just one team to like just change the standings that we predicted beforehand to alter who gets in, who gets out. Because we've seen this ha- effect. Like Utah has been an excellent regular season team third highest winning percentage in the past half decade, and they can't get to the conference finals because of unlucky opponents. Ditto for, like, the Mavericks last year and the year before. They get the Clippers in back-to-back series. They're easily, out of all these teams, they're kryptonite. Seeding matters, and now more than ever with this year, the ability to just have, not even home court advantage, the ability to just get out of the playing game, get yourself the extra days off, game plan against your opponent, face a team that's already kind of on the on the on the edges here that advantage is going to be magnified for this conference in particular yeah and i i think it, it's really just going to come down to what team is playing the best ball uh by the time march and april roll around you know um and it could and listen things can change most of these teams are three games in um so i don't think we can read too much into the start but i think it can also give you kind of a hint of what is to come uh, in the Western Conference. And like you said, it's definitely going to be a uh, it's going to be a foot race. And it's going to be um, really interesting to see how, how it plays out. But you, you move over to the East. I think, you know, after these first few games, the big surprises are are the Bulls and the Hornets. Oh yeah, <laughs> how well they're playing. Um, the Bulls, honestly, after after I saw that they uh, got DeRozan, I I kind of had a feeling that they would be contenders in the East, and you know they got Lonzo too, traded for Vucevic last year, who's also just a very. I think Vucevic is is super underappreciated as a player. I do too. I give him a lot of hell, but he does get the job done. Yeah. I mean, he, listen, defense, not great, but I mean, he can go to work in the post. He can shoot the rock. He's, he's definitely helped space the floor for guys like Lonzo, who has just, I mean, I feel like Lonzo has just improved. He's looked so good this year. Yeah. So far he's looked fantastic. Every year, the three point percentage has gone up. He's fixed his shot. Um, looks more confident too, especially yep, driving to the rim. Yeah. Yep. He's still still an elite passer, I would say. Um, and then you just pair him with Levine, who's freak athlete, great scorer. Also, I feel like kind of overlooked as as for how good of a player he is. And then DeRozan, who's just like as tough as they come, knockdown mid range. The guy is maybe the best mid range shooter in the entire NBA, and you know, can take on any team's best player on defense. 
Yeah, when we were doing, this has happened in NBA media, including myself, like who just like love basketball. We have to like differentiate, like did the Bulls get better versus how much did the Bulls give up to get better? Because I think people hated on the moves because they were like, oh, DeRozan, $88 million for three years. Lonzo, $80 million over four. Like, why would they do that? Vucevic, past all-star. You gave up your best player and, you know, multiple firsts or you play that game. But this team is better. I think we underrated that you can't play Chandler Hutchinson 33 minutes uh, as a rotation player last year. They actually have nine NBA players, one of which is arguably an all-star, one of which is a past all-star who could still put up good production from the center position, one of which could be a a sneaky all-star, kind of like D'Lo in 2018 if they, like, get all the pieces right and they still keep up the success and DeRozan's a veteran I as much as I hate the fit and as much as I hate him as an individual player for that Bulls team which is on this running gun we're gonna just outscore our opponent we're gonna do it in all sorts of facets he fits perfectly and the criticisms over the defense and the lack of depth have largely been uh, overshadowed because other guys have stepped up like Caruso's look very good they've got guys at the bench that I trust more so than in past years and you you said this before. The sample size is very small. They're four games in. They beat they beat the Pistons twice. They have an easy division relative to other divisions. But the four and zero is a striking marker compared to their last couple of years, where it's been this misery. They they've got these lotto picks that haven't aged well. They're like the ninth overall pick, and they're just not flashing potential. Levine's all by himself. And if you're a Chicago Bulls fan, you have to be pretty happy right now with their production. Yeah, and they've in two of their games that they've won have have they pulled it out in crunch time when they needed to. Yes, were the games against the Pistons and the Raptors? Yes, are either of those teams really going to be contenders this year? I don't think so. Um, but the fact, just seeing the ability to to win games when they need to late in the fourth quarter is encouraging. And, I mean, I, I think they, they're only going to build on it for the rest of the year. Well, another thing, too, the Raptors are, like, both those teams are, like, they're going to be toward the bottom of the East, but they're not, like, not competitive either. Like, the Pistons have a bunch of young guys who they've said that the, the Magic are easily the worst team out East. After that, you kind of play that game. The Pistons still have a lot of young guys that want to compete. And Toronto's looking for this bounce back year. They just beat the Celtics by 25 the other night, so they're not nothing either. Yeah. So, I mean... This Bulls team's got a lot of potential. We want to see the sample size go out because I don't think they'll be a top three seed in the East. I think they'll be more like a play-in game, maybe six seed around that range. And we also have to see, like, does DeRozan kind of regress a little bit? Does Vucevic regress? Just they're in their mid-30s. It's going to happen. Or, on the contrary, do Lonzo and Levine take this mega leap that we're hinting at here? Because Levine, as you put it, he's been very good. He's averaged 20-something, 25-plus points multiple years overshadowed by Chicago's the Jim Boylan era and the Laurie Markin and yeah. stuff and Wendell Carter and all these like wishwashy guys but Levine now has a competent team and this narrative going to the season was Zach Levine didn't sign the contract extension why is Chicago doing this they could let him walk this proves to you right here that this notion that you that you shouldn't fork over assets for a guy who could leave is stupid. That it really is a case by case basis where they wanted to keep Levine, they invested in this guy, and it's really proving it right now. They're only one of three undefeated teams left after a week and a half of play. Yeah, and they also, you know, as much as Alex Caruso gets memed around the NBA, I feel like <laughs> he's, you know, is he a starter? No, but is he a good 
Sixth man, seventh man off the bench. I think he is. Well, and stole him from a Lakers team using the, the, the MLE. It's not like they paid, you know, $80 million. They paid $10 million a year. Yeah. They're, they got a good deal for him. Yep. So the other team of, that you talked about, the Hornets being 3-1, and one, too. I, I've all, I was a huge Hornets fan this year. I thought they were one year away. And they've looked very good so far. I, I don't know if you want, you've seen some Hornets action so far, but oh, they have looked fantastic after this first couple weeks. Yeah, honestly, Lamelo Ball, man, yes. he is just here we go. I mean, the 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 jump from rookie year to to the first few games of this year is just incredible. And I mean, we saw flashes of it last year. You know, he had he had some turnover issues, he had some efficiency issues, but I mean, it's that all seems to be pretty cleaned up in these first four games and if you look through really their whole roster just a lot of athletic guys like listen miles bridges freak athlete and huge improvement last year with the three-point shot the handle like being able to create with him like him as your guy like a couple times has been pretty effectful too yep and and pj washington also he's you know he's he's i think still kind of finding his way in the NBA, but I think he he'll turn into a, a solid contributor. Is he an All Star? No, but is he a guy who can give you a solid fifteen points a night? Yeah, I think he is. Um, they they got uh, James Bonite uh, in the first round. He's he's a great. I thought he was a steal when they uh, when they. Or yeah, Bonite, he, he was the yeah. steal of the draft, probably. Yeah, according to most people. Um, and then it, I think Hayward. Took a uh, took a big step forward last year, and I and you know, he a guy with injury problems. Obviously, he's he's been hurt um, for for long stretches. But I mean, when he was on the floor, he was super effective for them. And the, the one underrated thing about this Hornets team is that they affect my team in Miami because now you look at that Southeast Division. The Magic are the dumpster fire. They're going to be horrible. But it's Miami, Atlanta, and then Hornets or the Charlotte with Washington. That's four teams right there either that's vying for a playoff spot or vying for the play-in. So now you went from, oh, it's just Miami and Atlanta to, oh, Charlotte's taking a leap and Washington looks like not horrible. That It's now in the running for kind of not best division, but definitely most competitive division in the NBA, given you've got four legit play-in teams slash playoff teams kind of competing there in that division. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm interested to hear what, what do you make of the Heat's first couple games this year. I know they they blew out the Bucks, the the defending A champs. fantastic game. That was oh my god. It, <laughs> I mean, that was just a demolition. So, um, you know, they added Kyle Lowry in the offseason. Uh they got Victor Oladipo back uh on really I I think was was kind of a steal of a of a contract. Yep. Um obviously Jimmy Butler is just the heart and soul of the team. They still have Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, their shooters. I know there's a lot of speculation about Maybe trading them. Well, he's back. Tyler Bubble Boy's back. Yep. He, he's redeemed himself. Yep. My here's my take. I think that people were too hard on Tyler Hero last year. The expectations were so high after the playoffs. When Jimmy was out with COVID and with injury, when uh we lost some of our guys, people thought that Tyler Hero could be the best guy in the court. And the problem is that he's not that guy at all. Absolutely not. But what he is though is a microwave score off the bench, can easily close for you in games can be a spark plug if you're down 10 and need a couple baskets to get back in five within five. He can do that. The other thing that's crucial about this team that I love is that their defense is very good. Like having a Lowry, Butler, Bam trio to guard you, to lead your guard, your forward, and your center is awesome. And we saw with Milwaukee where they bottled up Giannis. They made other guys that weren't really creators 
shoot the more the lights out, and it didn't work. The downside of this team, as we've already seen, has been P.J. Tucker. The donuts are already piling up with the 0-0-0 games, but if he can still do his role as a defender and all the other guys step up, I don't see a problem with it. What we are seeing, though, off of especially that Pacers game that we just played, was injuries. If, like, we lose Kyle Lowry for two weeks or if we lose Jimmy for a week and a half, do we have the depth to back that up? Because Victor Oladipo is still in limbo. If we have him back, he's going to be fantastic, but we still need him back. Tyler Hero, the reason he wore down is just the, the, the stuff that we made him do last year was not part of his repertoire at all. Duncan was and Bam were overworked. Will we see that again? Because if you're Miami, I think this is the team where, yes, they want to just get into the playoffs and go from there. But you also want to avoid Milwaukee and Brooklyn. You want to make it to like a three seed and get to the conference semis and hopefully the conference semis without facing, at least in the first round, Milwaukee or Brooklyn early on. I think that's kind of the direction that they're going toward. Yeah, and I, you know, if injuries happen to star players on any team, it's going to be difficult. Um, but I mean... Yeah. If if all three of these guys, if Kyle Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, and Bam are are all healthy, um, and really Oladipo too, I don't know if he'll ever be the same as what he used to be because he's also just had a lot of injuries the last couple years. But if they stay healthy, you talked about PJ Tucker, which I think was kind of an overlooked acquisition. You know what you're gonna get from PJ Tucker though. Like is he's not gonna light up the score. He's not gonna light it up from scoring. But he's gonna get tough rebounds. He's gonna play tough defense on your best on the other team's best well, player. He's also a veteran too. I think we overlooked that there's some teams the reason why they suck for so long, they have no veterans. Like PJ Tucker is the type of guy in a playoff game to knock somebody down the ground and commit a hard foul when nobody else would and be an example. That sort of stuff. He fits the Miami culture, even though the numbers and maybe even the price for him was a little bit overblown. Yeah. Yep. And um it's it's si- similar situation with Duncan Robinson but on the completely different side of the ball definitely a defensive liability but when yes. you have when you have those other guys out there they can cover for him and if he's open I mean the guy is one of the best shooters in the NBA hands down I there I I could probably name four five guys maybe that I would rather be taking a three than Duncan yeah, Robinson the list is very small down. and he has like the best percentage, I think, minus Curry for, like, since the year he entered, like, fully with all the rotation. I think it was 2020. So he's been a fantastic shooter. Miami's also a team like Los Angeles where I think they're one of those rosters that's like, let's get in the playoffs and we'll go from there. I don't think Miami's built for a regular season. I think they're more built for, like, a, a playoff game, a playoff game, tough seven-game series, that sort of thing. Kind of like the Lakers, honestly. But that's kind of the prediction for that. Uh, I'm glad. I think the Bucks being three and one's no surprise. They've been fantastic so far. Giannis, he's my MVP runner-up favorite right now. I think just he ha- he lost it last year. It's been I think people forget, but when he was voted MVP for the bubble, the bubble happened like an extra half a year ago. So there's more like a year and a half since his last MVP. There's no recency bias, unless Curry kind of keeps this up. I think Giannis is the presumptive favorite here. After a week and a half, who's your MVP pick? Given, I know it's a small sample size, but who would you say is like leading it? I'd argue it's between Curry and Giannis right now, given team performances and given their individual performances. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's kind of hard to to disagree with Giannis on that one. And you also saw going back to the finals last year, um, he made his free throws. Yes, seventeen of nineteen in Game Six, the iconic stat line that people will say down the road. Fifty points in the in the finals game too. Yep, he took a leap in the playoffs. Yes. Yep. Um, 
you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of kind of a dark horse. Um, honestly, mine's Jokic. I think if Jokic, if the Nuggets are like a three seed, and Jokic is putting up what he's putting up now, which is like a twenty seven nine and nine or whatever that stat line is, I don't see why he wouldn't be like at least in the running. I think the underrated one would be honestly Joel Embiid. Yeah, I think if the Sixers somehow get a two seed, even after the Ben, like if Ben Simmons doesn't come back and they're that roster's not good. If you look at that roster, it's a little bit talent shallow. Yeah. Like, who is it? It's Tobias Harris. It's, you know... Overpaid. Seth Curry and Fortran Korkmaz. It's Dwight, It's uh, Andre Drummond backing up at MB. Like, it's low-key not a good roster with not a lot of shot creation. If the Sixers win 50 games and they're a 3C and they're comfortable... He could just be like a candidate. I don't see why he wouldn't be like a fa- like a semi favorite. Yeah, and I mean he he's always been he's always been in the MVP's conversation the last couple years too. But I mean, you know, we talked about him earlier. If if Lamelo keeps the pace he's playing at, I mean, how can almost how can you deny yeah. him? Yeah, I mean, if, and same with John Moran with the Grizzlies. I mean, if they yeah. just, just not even on a stats basis because these are two teams that were young that we thought could make improvements, but we didn't think to this magnitude. If the Grizzlies are, you know, 48 and 35 and they're a fifth seed, they went from borderline playing team to now legitimate home court advantage. That could be an MVP case right there, especially if the Lakers guys, I don't think any of them will win because they're going to take minutes and votes away from each other. Ditto for Brooklyn. Milwaukee, there could be just the Giannis fatigue. I think if Philly, if the situation is too tumultuous, he won't win it. Cur- unless it's Cur- Curry's going to be – that would leave Curry, obviously. But after Curry, though, there's not many options if all those kind of simulation, uh, scenarios play out. And I think you would agree with me here. All those scenarios are super-duper likely, given yeah. what we've seen with last year. So, yep. I mean, this year's probably pretty similar. Yeah, and uh, I think another thing to note with the Grizzlies is that they're also playing without Dylan Brooks, who you could argue – Is their second best – I think he's their second best player, yeah. yeah. So the fact that that Jaws has played this well, he's he's carried the team on his back. Yes, he did miss a, a the free throw at the end of the Lakers game, but I mean, but you you remember that at the forty and ten he dropped exactly, himself, yeah, exactly. So you know he's the type of player that he is. That's that's going to motivate him to to be better and you know make those shots down the line. And I mean, he's everyone knows he's special, and I think he's just going to. That that's only going to fuel his fire, really. So let's move, let's start with the East. I've got a couple teams that are starting to scare me, and I want to. This is, we're going to the dark mode of this, where I'm like, this is where I become a Debbie Downer. The Brooklyn Nets have stood out to me. I get it. There weren't going to be a four. I don't think they were going to be four in to start the year. I, there was going to be some growing pains. But what's wrong with Brooklyn this year? Because I have a lot of takes I think are pretty justified. But I want to hear your thoughts. Why has Brooklyn struggled so far at the gate? Well. I mean, the obvious one is Kyrie Irving, um, but I think as a whole with their team is just a lack of defense, and we saw that we saw that problem with them last year. I mean, they're they're another team like you said with the Bulls is just going out there and trying to outscore their opponent. And yes, they have the capability to do that because they have Kevin Durant and James Harden, who are two of the most prolific scorers in the history of the NBA. But I mean, if you're if you're letting the other team score on every possession. It's not going to go your way every night. And, you know, Kyrie, even if he comes back, I don't think anyone will would call Kyrie a uh, a lockdown defender either. So, 
I think it's just they, they need to find the right – they need to find some pieces who – a guy that they can rely on to guard somebody's best player. And, yes, usually it's KD. And as good as of a player as KD is, I wouldn't consider him necessarily to be an elite defender in the NBA. And I think if you're if you're trying to win a championship, you need elite defenders on your team. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I think – Kyrie aside, because I don't even think the Kyrie absence has been – it's been a little overblown. For playoffs, maybe it matters, but not for regular season because they've been good without Kyrie before, and we've seen it with the numbers. The defense is the huge thing. I think the, I think the fear, if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan, is that you're going to put too much on Kevin Durant and Harden in the regular season more than you need to. I think Brooklyn relied upon depth this year to be like, oh, that'll take us. But all their guys are power forwards who are stuck between playing – like. Bad center or bad small forward. It's like James Johnson's a, a washed up yeah. four that kind of can't be a three, but he kind of he's the playing with the five. Nick Claxton's too young. Paul Millsap might just be out of the league by now. Blake Griffin, like, ditto. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge's very, very, like, slow and rusty. So all of those guys I mentioned are power forwards that can either slide down to center, but that's really it. So you're playing – we saw it with uh, this last game against Milwaukee. They're playing Blake Griffin at the four – with LaMarcus Aldridge or with Paul Millsap or with another big man. So they have no three. And then Bruce Brown, who was like their little Swiss, uh, Swiss Army knife, is a two guard who plays like a center yeah. and who can't stretch the floor. So they've got all these guys. They've just got so many weird line lineups where it's like Patty Mills can't play defense, but he's your guard. You've got guys who can play defense but can't shoot. You've got shooters who can't play defense. They're lacking kind of a two-way force on this team outside of Kevin Durant that – I think people are underrating. It's going to be a big deal when they need to guard Chris Middleton in a playoff series or guard Embiid. Like, who's guarding Embiid on this Brooklyn Nets team outside of – no, not even outside because they don't even have, like, one guy. Like, they're really struggling kind of with finding a key 3 and D perimeter player that can kind of do all do it all. Yeah, and you, and you talk about all these power fours that they have. They're also all on the back end of their career. And all washed up, too. LaMarcus Aldridge yeah. had heart surgery, like yeah. – this past offseason, Paul Millsap was playing 20 minutes a night in Denver and honestly coming off the bench at times for that team. Uh, Blake Griffin's been great, but not in 35 minutes a night. He's been great in 20 minutes a night, and he's already been on the decline for the last half decade. Yeah. All those guys, are, and even James Johnson, their new acquisition is 35. Like yeah. Jeff Green right now is doing more in Denver that they had last year than he is doing this year with the Nets. So all those guys are kind of not helping him out either. Yeah. I. It's it's going to be – they're going to have to find a way to – because a lot of – and with their age, a lot of these guys are, you know, slow. Uh, the agility isn't really there. And when you're going up against freak athletes like Joel Embiid, like they're just not going to be able to keep up. But another team that I'm kind of panicking on is – Honestly, the Pacers. Yes, I was going to mention them. It was them, Boston, and Indiana for me. Let's do Indiana first. They get Rick Carlisle in there, this huge improvement. Other than that Miami win, which was a very close win, it went to overtime, they could be 0-4 right now. Yep. What have you seen from them so far that's kind of stood out to you in terms of a disappointment? Uh, I think they, they need better play out of Sabonis. Um, I, think, I think at this point he's probably their best player, and unfortunately – I don't. I don't think having Sabonis as your best player will get you very far in the playoffs. He's a great player. He's made a couple All Star teams, um, but I mean, 
they 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 kind of need him to to step it up, especially with Karis LeVert out. Um, that that's another guy who I think if he comes back, it could maybe change the change the tide and you know turn the rough start that they've had around a little bit. But you know, as of now, you know what you're getting out of out of Miles Turner. That's a guy who can you know great defender, blocks a lot of shots, and he can stretch the floor if needed. But I, I think Sabonis is really the game breaker because he can he really can do it all. He can pass, he can shoot, he can score in the post, um, he can grab rebounds, and I think they just need Sabonis to put the team on on their back, especially while uh, Karis LeVert is is out. No, I agree with you there. I think what we've seen is that for one, the Sabonis Miles Turner pairing is a very limited ceiling. They should have traded one of them for something ages ago. They still haven't done it. Sabonis, he's an all-star, yes, past couple of years, but I don't think he's a good all-star. I think it's just a matter of, like, the Eastern Conference needs, like, a back-end guy. We'll put Sabonis in there. He's putting up 20 and 10. He's a good player, but is he the best guy on your team? Absolutely not. He's more like a second, maybe third guy, like a DeAndre Aiden in Phoenix. And what we've seen is that this is not a Rick Carlisle issue. This is a player's issue, where... Brogdon, all these guys they have are great role players. Excellent as like a fourth individual, especially like Brogdon. Brogdon as your third person would be awesome. Brogdon as your first person, if he's your best ball creator on offense, is very questionable. Yep, yep. And I mean, you know, he's another guy who who can defend and, and score when you need him to. But like, you know, there are issues with him coming out of the draft where it's how dynamic can he be and you know he's not he was a great college player um and and he's been a solid nba player but like you said i as he's he's a third option at best well for for a championship team the other reason i'm disappointed too if you're indiana is that this is a very easy division they're in because they're playing they've got pistons and Cavs both the bottoming out in their in their own uh, little region there and Chicago yes they're 4-0 but we could see some regression there other than Milwaukee they're at least competent with the Bulls and better than the both the Pistons and the Cavs so you'd expect even though they haven't played them yet like t- getting ahead of the curve here and they haven't so far yeah absolutely um uh if we move on to the Western Conference a couple teams that stand out to me Timberwolves 2-1 and one. go th- Minnesota's finally getting this stuff out of the gutter here uh are were you are you a big proponent of Minnesota uh, making a playoff push this year? Because I've been very hyper on Corinthian Towns. I, I love the kid. I love the the style of playing Minnesota. I've always loved the Ben Simmons rumor there to just get him for like pennies on the dollar and have him be a defensive anchor next to him. Give me your Timberwolves takes right now uh, with this year so far. Yeah, it, it's it's been a great start. Um, do I think they'll keep it up? No. Um, I think they could slide into the playoffs with maybe a seven or eight seed. But again, it, it comes down to defense with that team too. Um, you know, Towns, Towns and D'Lo, both notoriously bad defenders. Um, they did get Pat Beverly though, who you know, say what you want about him. He's he's a scrappy guy. He's gonna, serviceable, very he's, serviceable. He's very serviceable. You know, and and they don't really need offensive production from him anyway because they have Towns, Russell, and of course you know Edwards, who I think is also just gonna similar light, light, light it up <laughs> yeah he's i mean he's gonna take a leap like uh like you know ball did and and you, you can see why these guys were, were both top three picks um you know 
Edwards is just a freak. He's a freak athlete. He can. He's shown the ability, especially at the end of last year, that he can put the Timberwolves on his back um, with with scoring. You know, they had Towns out for for a while. They had D'Lo out for a while. And yes, did was their record terrible? Yes, but you know, Edwards showed those flashes last year of being able to to put the team on his back, be the best player on their team. And I think you give it, you know, two or three years, once Edwards starts to enter his prime a little more, you know, Towns and Towns and Russell aren't young, but they're also not old. You yeah, know? Towns is like twenty four. Yeah. Towns is like up there. Russell's like twenty five. Yeah. Like so like if it in, in a couple years, once once Edwards matures even more into, you know, the being the player that I expect him to be, which is a perennial all star, um, you know, I th- I think that that's a team that'll that'll make some noise. Not necessarily this year, but a couple years down the line. That's that's a team that I would uh, that I would watch out for. They're also an interesting team because I think they might be this year's Grizzlies, where they come out on the scene. They're young. They're scrappy. They've got guys that just bloom out of nowhere, like Jalen McDaniel's, like yeah. that that little power forward that just kind of is scrappy. Josh Okogie, that just switchable defender that just finds a way to just like annoy you as an opponent. They have guys that I love on that team that they can easily pack. Even like Malik Beasley, who yeah. struggles with the off the court issues and with injury, he could score twenty points again off the bench for him and beat Jordan yep. Clarkson. Yep. Even like not every team, every team would kill to have Malik Beasley on their bench. So they're a team that I'm watching out for. The other team, because I think all of these are pretty self explanatory, but the Pelicans at one and three. Uh, over under on two and a half, uh, over under two and a half weeks that Zion makes his appearance in a New Orleans jersey because it seems that there's a lot of uh, dismalness in uh, New Orleans right now. They expect him to be at training camp. We find out he has surgery out of nowhere with his foot. He's out for the beginning of the year. New Orleans is doing horrible. They built this team around Zion, and Zion's a no-show. So what's the latest out of New Orleans right now? I mean, first off, on the over under, I'm, I'm taking the over. You know, we also, we also heard – you know, recently that Zion, you know, top 300 pounds. In the oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he, I, he, he, that would, he would weigh the most out of any NBA player right now. I think above his height. Like, that is ridiculous for that guy. Yeah. So if, if I'm a New Orleans fan and I'm hearing that, I mean, a guy who basically was expected to replace Anthony Davis. And listen, it. We, we know Zion is, is such a unique player because, yes, is he short for his position? Um, but he, you know, compensates for that with, with his physicality and his build. But, I mean, any 6'6 guy who is over 300 pounds is just not going to succeed in the NBA. And, and you think about the, the stress that it puts on his knees – in his lower body. Yeah, that's the last thing he needs is more pressure on the the knees that have already had injuries. The, he's already lost athleticism from Duke to the first couple of years. Yep. And if you're a New Orleans fan, you're panicking because is he doing this on purpose? Because usually if a player has surgery, they'll let the guy know. And we've seen this with a couple of people in the past. We've seen this with Kawhi Leonard where it's like, oh, I got the ACL injury, but you can't publish anything until I finish getting the surgery. We've seen this with other cases now here's this guy who we heard the family rumors how he doesn't like New Orleans. He wants to be in New York. We've heard multiple disappointing years in that organization. The Anthony Davis shadows looming there after we just saw this happen with him for half a decade. Now if you're a New Orleans fan, is history repeating itself in New Orleans? 
Because I don't like their roster, I don't like the team, and I don't like the position they're in right now. No. And I mean, when you're going out with Brandon Ingram as, you, as, you're, as you're one, you're just not going to win that many games. Like, he, again, another guy who's, who's improved a lot since he's come in. Some people pegged him as a boss, and I think he proved in his first couple years in New Orleans that, that he's, he's a good player, but good players don't get you anywhere um, in the playoffs. Like, if you, you need, you need a, a star you need someone who is going to break the game, and that's what everyone expected Zion to be. And I and I think he's done it, you know, sparingly. But when he's been on the court, I I don't think his his play has been consistent enough for for the Pelicans to really make any waves. Well, and now that we've seen this in the past with other players, we've seen this with Paul George, we've seen this with. Um... Uh, James Harden, seeing this now potentially with Ben Simmons, just guys being like, I want out. And especially with Ben Simmons, let's say multiple years on his deal, will Zion be the first player to do the unprecedented thing in this CBA, in this like modern era where he doesn't sign the restricted free agent offer? He says, I'm going to boycott until another team signs you and you do not match it. Because it looks like it's going to happen right now. And it's weird to say this, but this, the, the wave of player empowerment gets more and more crazy by the day. And we're seeing it in New Orleans where this guy says, I do not want to be here. And even though he's not saying it verbally, all the actions point to it, though. With the offseason surgery, with the, the character, with the showing up out of shape to season. Like, even if he comes back healthy, this guy will not even be in shape to play a game. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'm wondering, do you think that, you know, with, with all these red flags that, that Zion's kind of been presenting the Pelicans with, do you consider trading him? Now before it gets worse, exactly. Yeah. So you don't you don't put yourself in a situation where you lose him for essentially nothing, um, and you know I think because of Zion's potential, they can get a pretty solid haul for him. Um, you know, blow it up. You know, you can trade Brandon Ingram to a contender. He'll he'll definitely help a team as a as a third option, second maybe. Um, but I mean, you know. The, I just think that the the Pelicans would be wise to blow it up at this point. It, it's been a rough start to the year. Um, even though it's early, you know, we don't know when Zion's coming back. So I feel like we can expect that it'll be more of the same for at least the next couple weeks. Well, and if you look at the landscape, minor, like the Eastern Conference, the Magic, and probably the Pistons are going to bottom out. Every other team is going to at least compete for the most part. In the Western Conference, minus the Thunder and Oklahoma – or excuse me, the Thunder and Houston, every other team's going to bottom out. If it's an opportunity where you know this guy wants out, just tank this year. Like, as dumb as it sounds, your franchise is already going to be miser- miserable. You're not making the playoffs this year. Barely, You're not going to make the play-in, given how well some of these teams have played early on. Why not just go that route? It might be better for their franchise, to be honest. Yeah, and, and you brought up the Thunder, and I think the, the smart thing for New Orleans to do is, you know, pull a take, thunder. take a page out of their playbook. Exactly. The Thunder... Have I, I I don't know the number off the top of my head, but twenty oh it's over twenty draft pick like first round picks for the next like seven years. Yeah, and at least if your team is bad, your fans know that there are going to be better days ahead. Yeah, you you embrace the L. You yeah, just embrace it. exactly. So like the Thunder clearly have a bright future ahead of them. I mean that you know five six seven years down the line, it's going to be. First rounder after first rounder, they still have uh, SGA, who I think is is 
very underrated as a player. Is he going to be your best player on a championship team? No, but he's he's an important. He's going to be an important player to the Thunder's future success once they start drafting these these first round picks that they have. So I think the the smart thing for the Pelicans to do is is to kind of mimic that and you know get what they can out of out of Zion and Ingram because I think at least out of those two guys you can probably get five first first rounders. Ingram would demand like a couple picks, like yeah. a guy and two picks. Let's say I think he would demand that. Uh, in terms of a quick office side, but the Thunder and the Pistons in the lead for the Tankathon this year, so that'll also be on our watch for the team that bottoms out the most. That'd be cool. One last question for you here, Eisman. Um, what is the team, whether a team that it's surprising to you outright or overachieved that may regress or vice versa? What's the team you're going to be looking forward to, kind of for this next couple weeks uh, for this season so far? Yeah, I, I think a team that's. They're in fourth in the East right now, but I just don't see it continuing is is the Knicks. Yes, here we go. Um, Knicks t- I love the Knicks slander. Let's keep it I, up. <laughs> I mean, listen. I have the Knicks under right now. We're going for Knicks under. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I think Kemba is a guy who's far past his prime. Um, Julius Randle, while, you know, he, he was an all-star last year, he clearly improved a lot. Um, I think the holes in the Knicks showed – uh, in the playoffs last year against the Hawks. And the Hawks, are they good? They're good. Um, but, you know, they, they didn't even make it to out of the Eastern Conference. Um, and I just don't really like that team. anything I... that they have going on. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just R.J. Barrett, I, you know, people can still hold out hope for him, but I just don't see him you know, living up to, to the billing of, of being a top three pick, um, inefficiency, you know, I feel like sometimes losing focus almost too. Um, so it's just, it's pretty horrendous there. Well, I'm glad that, uh, we at least got one Nick slander joke in here (laughs) before the end of the pod. Well, Eisman, thank you for joining your first episode. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. It was fun.